0: So, did you hear the one about the goalie who went on to become a comedian? It's not a joke, but instead describes our feature interview. I'm Darren Millard, and presented by The Hockey Shop, sourced for sports Surrey, thehockeyshop.com, this is In Goal Radio, the podcast. Today, we catch up with Jim Ralph, a product of the Sioux. He played four years in the OHL, was drafted by Chicago, and spent seven seasons playing professionally. While he never got into an NHL game as a player, Ralphie has spent his second career covering the Toronto Maple Leafs, where he is the radio analyst. He is also hilarious. When not at the rink, Ralph is speaking at a function somewhere all over this country. Our gear segment focuses on Brian's. Cam at the Hockey Shop gets the week off as InGold Radio welcomes back Chris Joswiak for a second tour on this podcast. Jos is a pro rep, which means He's very busy at this time of the year. We'll get an inside look at his world, plus a couple of hints at the Optic 2 line that launches in a couple of months. It's a very busy show, which means it's time to bring in the co-founders of Ingle Magazine, Kevin Woodley and David Hutchison. Episode 33, gentlemen, is uh, is our funniest yet. And does does Dad give this one his stamp of approval? Because uh, Hutch, you are sort of the the guy that keeps us grounded and in control in this in this <laughs> podcast.
1: Oh, seal of approval for sure. Well, I don't know. You're the one who made this one happen, but I did meet Ralphie for the first time, probably four or five years ago when I heard him speak to a group of young goaltenders. And I've been telling some of those stories to other people ever since. So I was really excited that we could finally get him uh, on the podcast to share some of those things. So thanks for making that happen, Darren.
0: It's a, it's a different interview as it covers uh, a lot of, uh, Areas, some serious, which you don't hear Ralph uh, get too often, and uh, and some funny, and some reflections on his playing days, which cover off the uh, the seventies and the and and the eighties. Woody, you uh you get a chance to hang out with Jaws again. Uh, tell us about what's happening there.
2: Probably gonna talk a little optic two line, as you mentioned, Darren. Uh, Brian's is one of the, I guess, the only company that launches their new product uh november 1st so a couple months after we start seeing it uh on the nhl guys it's available at retail so uh, i don't know if he's going to give us the whole scoop but we're certainly going to get some teases on what the new optic 2 line is going to be like coming out in november uh we'll also talk about what life as a gear rep is like and he's teased me that we're going to mix in a little bit of ea sports because i guess some people want to know Will the new graphics from the Optic 2 line be available on their favorite goaltender when they go to log in and play video games? So Jaws is going to share some of those insights and just give, uh, you know, as he has in the past, give our listeners a taste of what it's like as a pro rep at a time of the year when everybody is trying new gear, testing equipment from different companies, and what goes into his life, you know, during this busy stretch. It'll be fun. Plus, like I said, a glimpse of the new stuff
0: pro returns you see them uh from guys that have uh, have tried things out i wonder how many sets you have to make for for guys that are trying different gears say you're in one manufacturer but uh but they're interested in in
2: trying your gear it's, it must be fun for the pro reps but also a little frustrating i would imagine frustrating probably trumps fun in most cases <laughs> and i think that's where relationship building and knowing the guy uh, probably comes in as key. There's really no point. You got to know who to chase, who you are chasing, realistically, and who's just a you know wild goose chase. And otherwise, you're wasting a lot of energy. And yet, if a guy with enough clout asks for something, uh, chances are an equipment company's going to make it for him to try. Uh, we have, however, over the years seen you know some try a little too hard. There, there was a period there where um you know before warrior got out of the nhl game one of their biggest problems was they were chasing they were making sets for anybody who was willing to try it uh but back then they only had manufacturing in can they hadn't gone offshore and so it was at the detriment of their wait times for the people who had actually paid for the pads and and at one point before they completely restructured and fixed all these problems quite significantly so so it is a balancing act um gear doesn't make itself it takes a little time and for these companies, they've got to make sure they sort of pick and choose the right ones. And usually that means guys who, you know, you, you feel have a, are, are sincere and honest in their desire to try something and maybe realistic about potentially switching.
1: And you can imagine the skill that it would take for one of these gear reps to uh, meet these guys and, and get the product into their hand and convince them to take a, a chance on it. Uh, some of the most personable people in the industry you'll find are these pro reps. And I think you'll find that, uh, if you didn't listen to the first interview we did with Jaws, I think you're going to find it here. Just uh, great people to spend time with and, and those people skills really come out in the work they do. Uh,
0: people skills sums up, uh, the folks over at Source for Sports. Cam gets the week off, but, uh, Source for Sports and the hockey shop, hockeyshop.com dot com, uh, humming right now going into all these camps.
2: Yeah. And. Cam's actually been out of town a little bit. Like, uh, I don't want to pump up his ego too big. But one of the reasons we've given him a couple of weeks off, as we said, we're going to mix things up. We're going to change things a little bit by trying to bring you some different voices. As much as we love Cam, as much as we love visiting the hockey shop, we're just going to try and uh, go diverse on this. But he's been he's been at CCM. Uh, and we saw we were a part of their the launch of the new line for CCM the tease of the new axis line for CCM that's coming out so Cam was in Montreal getting to not only have a look boys but get on the ice in the next cool. generation yeah so Cam is like he's a big kind of a big deal he's at the source for sp- he one upped you. Did, he did one up me. I only got to do. You only I did only the carpet, did carpet slice. slice. He actually got on it in the ice, um, and now he's at the uh, CCM. Or pardon me, the uh, source for sports meetings because he's part of their part of their goalie committee and their goalie ordering and the big process. And so you know, like we talk about meeting Cam in the basement of the hockey shop, a little slice of goalie heaven. But he's, I hate to say it, he's kind of a big deal. So he's been busy. He's bumped us from his schedule for the past couple of weeks, and. We've, we've spread the love around. It also means I don't get to go to the hockey shop, which is kind of sad for me because like you guys, I like going to the gear, going to the Mm -hmm. basement, grabbing the gloves, seeing what clothes is, picking up the sticks. Like they, they probably like it in the shop that I'm not around anymore because I leave a mess behind of all the things I've pulled off the wall and not put back properly. I'm kind of like a three-year-old that way. Um, but if you're like me, and you like to do that, you like to see what the latest and greatest is from all the brands, CCM, Bauer, Bryans, Vaughn, Warrior, they've got it all. Uh, An entire floor dedicated to goaltending, an entire staff that plays the position, understands the position, knows what equipment will help you play the position better. So if you can get there in person, I highly recommend it. The Hockey Shop Source for Sports in Surrey, uh, the suburbs of Vancouver. And if you can't, uh, that same mobile of expertise is available online at thehockeyshop.com, uh, whether it's big brand gear, new pads, new gloves, uh, chest and arm, masks, helmet, or small details like a batting glove or a glove to wear underneath your glove, uh, undergarments, padding like that. They're always looking for the latest, greatest thing, maybe even outside of typical hockey buys to help you be a better goaltender, be more comfortable, be, and perform better in the net. Uh, So make sure you check them up at thehockeyshop.com as well as reviews on all the latest equipment. Uh, They don't quite go as in-depth as we do here at InGoal, but they do a really nice job of going over the features of all the new lines. They'll be the first place you should check before the Optic 2 drops in November, except for ingoalmag.com, of course, and they're the first place everyone should go when it's time to buy.
0: I'm curious about this answer, almost scared, but in all your time at the hockey shop and Sorcerer Sports and you're hanging out there, do you ever pull down a right-handed glove uh, trapper and and throw it on and and just kind
2: of work it around a little bit? I got to be honest, I never have because... Oh, uh, really? I thought for sure you would have. No, they're not really... Are they goalies? I mean, with all due respect (laughs) to Jim Ralph, are are the guys that catch with the wrong hand still goalies? Do we count them? I don't know. what What
0: would
1: Fierzy think? I don't
0: know.
2: Yeah, I guess... Yeah, okay. But that was a different era. Like... Yeah, yeah, I don't know.
0: Yeah, uh, we talk a little bit about that uh today in in the, in the feature interview. Uh before we get to to Jim Ralph, uh there's a story about uh, Sergei Bobrovsky dealing with uh with Gooley Bob and uh, becoming a Florida Panther and what's happening there. Uh that's up on the website.
2: Yeah, ingolmag.com and uh, a reminder as much as for all those people that enjoy the Ingol magazine radio podcast, uh we also have fresh content coming and it'll be coming steadier now uh that the season is close to getting back underway and katherine silverman one of our longtime writers at ingolmeg.com has a nice piece on sergey Bobrovsky and frankly the secrets um to turning around his career from uh from a staying healthy standpoint this is a guy who was just ragdolled by groin injuries for you know the better part of two straight seasons missed uh, a bunch of time, almost a half a season, I believe in 14, 15. And then all of a sudden after 2016 and leading into 16, 17 and winning his second Vezina trophy, he has not had a groin injury since. And so it's funny because when he signed with the Panthers, there was a lot of like, oh, that's a long term for a guy with a history of groin injuries and he's on the wrong side of 30. And that's a lot of money and a lot of time and a lot of term. Well, the reality is that he hasn't like none of those problems are relevant anymore and he explained along with the trainers responsible for it they didn't really describe the full program but but they managed to peel back the curtain at least on who it is who's responsible and a little bit of the sort of martial arts style training that he's been doing in the summer to go from oft injured to almost never injured. That bodes well for the Florida Panthers. You can get that full scoop at ingolemag.com. And thanks to Kat Silverman for doing an awesome job, Uh, not just with Bob, but with the two trainers, both from Finland uh, that have been behind this transformation.
0: Well, we'll look forward to that. You know who else is a Southpaw is Mike McKenna. And uh, I'm going to be working with Mike McKenna, our second ever guest on InGoal Radio, the podcast. Mike and I are going to be part of the broadcast with the Vegas Golden Knights going forward. And I just wanted to tell you guys that something I learned about Mike McKenna, and he he fashioned the backup goalie towel for us in a game with the Philadelphia Flyers, and we we certainly appreciate that. But did you know that he catches with his right hand in hockey?
2: Yeah, I, I was just okay. waiting. I'm pretty much yeah. screwed. Do you yeah. make sure you play that yeah. clip no, no. that I said about no, no. them no. not being goalies before
1: no, but you how about this start? Hatch. I can hear where it's going. I bet you he catches with his left hand in baseball. How did you know that? Well, because I actually know another
0: goaltender here in town that's exactly the same. It's interesting that I don't know how that happens. That is one of the most bizarre things I've ever come across with with somebody is that they catch with with one hand for baseball and one hand for, for hockey.
2: See now, I go back to my original point. They are just all screwed up.
0: You're right about that. I'm I'm more with you after <laughs> after learning about that. And uh, well, you may be also on board after you hear our feature interview. And the indescribable Jim Ralph is the subject. He is a uh, a man of many talents, not just one thing, but rather a unique combination of player. Goaltender, broadcaster, and entertainer. His wit is quicker than Woody's glove hand. And today he makes a living as the Maple Leafs radio analyst with a solid mix of speaking appearances thrown in there. We wanted to get him on In Goal Radio, the podcast, because Jim played four very successful years as a goaltender with the Ottawa 67s before turning pro. And major injury cut short his career. But let's just say he made the most of those seasons in the minors by bringing us some great stories here is jim ralph on in Goal radio the podcast presented by thehockeyshop.com ralphie how, how would you like to be introduced or what do you think is the most accurate way to introduce jim ralph to a segment
3: well, I, I know I, I do quite a bit of MC work and and um, public speaking, and I usually bring my own introduction, and it's more of an apology for who they're introducing and who they couldn't get, and uh, and they stuck with me. So, I mean, I'm just um, I'm fortunate enough to, even though I only made it seven years in the minor leagues, to do what I loved until my late twenties and. Uh, right now, to be able to hang around and still do the same thing I did when I was five years old, which is go to hockey games.
0: So, do you think of yourself as an analyst, or do you think of yourself uh, more as a as a former goaltender who is an analyst?
3: Uh, I, I don't know if I've ever sat back and and tried to to label myself. Thank God. I, in fact, <laughs> uh, I joked when my my broadcast partner Joe Bowen went into the Hall of Fame. I said the only thing that's keeping me out is the category you know I don't I don't think I really fit in Uh, I think going into a player's slot might be a little tough and uh, same as the broadcasting so I'm I'm probably a a hybrid as far as uh, what I've become and uh, like I said I I don't know if I could put a label on it or, or really what I think of myself or if I think of myself that highly
0: tell us your story and and how you got into goaltending and then subsequently your career path
3: uh well actually you know, growing up in Sault Ste Marie we um we had something that was called a tournament team. Um so you never really played in the league, but you went to all these tournaments from the silver stick to Pee Wee. It was going to the uh uh Quebec Pee Wee Tournament and uh we just played against uh the league above us for for exhibition games. So uh I was lucky enough as a defenseman. Um Ronnie Francis was a forward. I knew them one of us would go on to great things. And uh, the um, you know I I made it but I didn't play much and I thought boy the best position you know if you want to play the entire game is to play goal and I was a big Eddie Jockerman fan growing up for for one reason or another and uh, I tried out as a goaltender and I made it as a um, I played house league but I was the backup for the tournament team the first year and um, made it the second year so it was um, it was more being selfish when it comes to ice time than anything that uh, that got me into the position.
0: Then you end up going to through all of that uh, to to Ottawa, and you had an all-world junior career.
3: Well, where I, where I was lucky was at the, um, at the time, the way the draft worked, that if you were uh, to be drafted as a minor midget or a 16-year-old, you had to go in the first three rounds. And I remember that. Um, uh, and, and this is what I loved about my father, and which is so different than so many hockey parents today. Uh, I remember we were at our year-end banquet, um, after my, my first year in midget hockey. And it was for all of what was called suit Major. And I remember the guest speaker at the banquet was a uh, kid that played for the Greyhounds that year named Wayne Gretzky, who, <laughs> who spoke for about a minute and a half and was very uncomfortable being there. But I remember at the time that the kids on my team said, you know, it was in the paper that you rated number one in Ontario to go in the OHL draft as a 16-year-old. And, uh, and I remember bringing that up to my father on the ride home from the banquet. My father says, ah, he said, that doesn't mean anything. I read that. So, oh, so I, I kind of I dismissed it. You know, this wasn't the my boy, he's going to play in the big league kind of conversation. It was, it was very dismissive. And then, um, so we thought maybe in the third round, London had called us and we heard from uh, the Oshawa generals as well. So my dad said, maybe late third round if he get drafted. And, and ended up, I went the, the first round to Ottawa. Um, which was a huge shock, but but you know, maybe one of the highlights of uh of my playing career to find that happened. And uh even though every time I came back to the Sioux to to play with Ottawa, they booed me. And uh that it got so bad that my grandmother wouldn't even go to the game.
1: Oh jeez. And by the way, the
3: Great the great the Greyhounds picked Paul Coffey in the first round, so it's not like they didn't win. You know <laughs> still you know, you guys still came out ahead of the ordeal. But it was uh yeah, so it was it was the start of something neat. There were some growing pains the first couple of years, and then I get drafted to Chicago, uh, more on spec, uh, because that's because Gretzky had played in the NHL, so they opened the draft up to 18-year-olds, uh, and then I was lucky enough to go to training camp and spend time with Tony Esposito, and then it was my last two years of junior after that training camp that, that I made the all-star teams, and we won the goals against things.
0: So where where are you in career aspirations and expectations as you leave junior?
3: As I was coming out of the junior,
0: yeah, year,
3: yeah. Uh, well, I mean at the at the time there was, um, and I didn't find this out until years later that I uh, it actually held the wins record in the Ontario Hockey League for twenty six years. Oh wow! Which which I didn't know until they posted something. So I didn't find out till I was third, so it's not like I could. <laughs> I couldn't live off that. You know, for 26 years, I could have lived off that. I would have had special cards made. I told my son, I would have, you know, I'd probably be on TV instead of radio now had I known. I said I never would have, I said I never would have married your mother, you know. I know. But it was, uh, I mean, so at the time, Tony Esposito was, was still there for a couple of years. But, um, you know, there were, um, there was the feeling that I was, um, you know, destined to to one day once the spot opened up in Chicago to to be there. But as they say, there's there's a million of those stories of uh, of guys that didn't make it for different reasons, and, and I guess I've
4: got my own.
0: Bring in uh, David Hutchison and Kevin Woodley. Uh, Hutch, uh, take us down a path here.
1: Yeah, Ralphie. One thing I wanted to talk to you about is just personalities. I you bring up Espo, but there've been so many over the years as a broadcaster that you've uh, encountered, and you've got a larger-than-life personality of your own. So who are some guys you've enjoyed meeting over the years and enjoyed having a, a chat with?
3: Well, I mean, one of the things, and, and this is, you know, the, the broadcasting side is one side, but um, through the after-dinner speaking and, and the MC and golf tournaments, if you would have told me growing up in the Sioux that I'd get to meet one of Bobby Orr or Bobby Hall or, um, you know, Guy Lafleur or Gordie Howe, uh, I would have been thrilled, but to have sat at head tables with all of them, um, and you can throw in Kareem Abdul Jabbar and John Elway and and some great stars from other sports. So, for for me, it's very humbling. I don't uh, uh, I don't have that swagger that I look around and go, "Yeah, I belong here." You know? <laughs> I, uh, I'm very much an on. I've, um, as far as Bobby Yorke goes, I haven't seen Bobby's golf tournament for the last nine years. Uh, we've known each other for 25. And as much as I wanna you know try to be cool and everything else uh every now and then it kicks in when i'm I'm a ten year old kid and looking at him going, "You're Bobby York <laughs> you know So it's uh I've been very very fortunate and um, you know ton cherry was was very good to me as i uh, made the transition from uh from playing into broadcasting um but I guess when it comes to guys around the league, some of my favorites uh, that, that, I, that I'll still give a big kiss on the cheek to when I see them just to make them uncomfortable are uh, Mike Lang at Pittsburgh and Eric Jenner in Buffalo. Mm-hmm. They're just two of my favorite guys and, and, you know, growing up, loving their work. And uh, it's an absolute joy just, uh, you know, to spend time with them in the media room before a game.
1: How about the goaltenders?
3: Uh, well, I mean, uh, Darren Pang and I, Darren, I haven't seen his well 30 years ago. Yeah. That's how long uh, Panger and I go back. Now, I've had two of them since then. Um, Panger's still hanging in, so so good, <laughs> so, so good for him. But it's um, uh, Bernie Pront. I became a big fan of uh, after the Rangers let Eddie when go to Detroit. I met Eddie as well. So there's uh, you know his, uh Jerry Cheevers I think is another one that is to me one of my my favorite people in the world. Uh, when you get to sit and have a cocktail with him and. Uh, hear certain stories that you remember as a kid I for, for me jerry cheevers I, I remember getting his book uh and it was called gold tenure i believe uh was out in the early 70s it was in diary form i believe just after jim bouton's book about uh ball four in the baseball side and uh and i read that book um and it was all about life in the nhl and talking about bobby orr and phil esposito and and missing a start uh when he when he lost a couple of games in Vancouver and Los Angeles. And to me that sort of became my Bible. Where I thought that's that's what it's like to be uh an NHL gold hunter, the day-to-day life. And um, you know, so to get to know Jerry after and, and that you know, really felt like I knew so much about him just because of that book. It was a pretty cool thing.
1: It's interesting that a lot of the guys you're re- reminiscing about here of have- uh, from many years ago and not so much the guys of today are, are we drumming a lot of the personality out of the game today?
3: Well, I mean, I mean, that, you know, I, I think from the goaltending standpoint, I don't think anybody looks at goaltenders as being the guys that are not the guys shoot at them. I mean, they're, they're probably the best protected, uh, athletes in sports right now. Mm-hmm. And and that's not to take away from what they do, but I think that was sort of part of the allure or part of the, uh, uh, Mystique about a goaltender was that there was something he was a little bit nuts, he was different from everybody else, and uh, and I don't think that's the case anymore. Um, I also know goaltenders are considered athletes now, and <laughs> back
4: then, back then
3: we, were, we weren't that category either, you know, we were uh, just different. I remember Billy Smith was uh, told one year in training camp that he had to, to ride the bike at training camp, and he said, Do you want me to win a marathon or do you want me to stop pucks? You choose, and that's what I'll do. <laughs> and uh, no, that that was the era that we grew up in. So it, um yeah, I'd say it's different. It, it's more of a business. Guys don't have to uh, work in the summer to make ends meet. It's um, you know, it, it's a business, and, and I've got the guys that can make you know five, six million a year for you know doing what uh, we did for considerably less.
0: Jim, Jim, were you funny, and did you have this personality when you played?
3: Uh, I, I like to think that I, I was a good teammate and, uh, we had fun. I mean, I, I guess there's, there's certain things when you go back, like getting on the, the mic at the front of the bus and, uh, screwing around with, uh, with guys. I, I remember when I was, I believe it was playing in Halifax and, um, we played, uh, I believe it was in New Haven and, uh, we had to bus from New Haven to Boston to fly back to, Halifax the next day, and I remember we were watching the World Series. It was St. Louis and Kansas City. That's that's my strongest memory of it. And we were watching the game, and I think uh, Kansas City was up nine nothing uh, into the ninth inning. So uh, I I got a hold of a newspaper and had all the lineups. So when we got on the bus, I started doing the rest of the baseball game, and I had the uh, you know St. Louis coming back and making it nine eight with two out in the ninth and the bases loaded. And uh, I, I was just screwing around doing it, but the guys in the back of the bus thought it was actually the game. And <laughs> until I had Ozzie Smith in 23 straight foul balls with a full count, <laughs> in the ninth inning. and somebody finally yelled from the back, How many effing foul balls is that? And just, somebody said, it's not, it's not the game. So, I mean, I guess, uh, I think in some ways that the legend has grown. I mean, I'm. I, yeah, you know, steve ludzik is a great friend of mine wrote a book and he said uh i, I want to use four stories about you so i asked i said i appreciate the call first i said what i they?" Mean? And, and i swear to god three out of the four stories weren't me i said lads i don't think i did that <laughs> or i don't think i would have said that and he said no and then finally i just said i don't care you know <laughs> if you want to use it yeah they're so good I mean, stories so, yeah so i mean i i I was somebody that I think liked to have fun. um it was more important for me, I guess, to be a good teammate, get along with everybody and um, you know and I, I think we entertained each other as much as it was you know me entertaining uh, you know the troops on a bus.
0: Did your coaches like your humor?
3: No, <laughs> no, they didn't <laughs> no. Yeah. They didn't.
0: And that's, that's a serious question because some, I mean, different time, I, I, don't, I don't know whether different time actually matters because coaches aren't the funniest people or the greatest senses of humor. So uh, I'm, I'm just curious how that went over.
3: Well, I, I played with uh, Bruce Brugio in a number of places, and he loves to bring up the story of how um, a, a coach uh, in Halifax not only wouldn't play me, wouldn't let me practice. And I would stand on the boards for, that. we had three goalies at the time, and I would stand on the boards for uh, an hour and a half of practice, and then I'd get bag skated after. And this happened twice. And then the third time, uh, I just left the ice, and I s- tied all my equipment together and put the sweater on it. And I I hung my equipment and effigy from the uh, uh, from the rafters in the dressing room. And uh, the boys loved it, but the coach didn't think it was that funny. And, and I went home. <laughs> <You> know, so <laughs> So uh, yeah, so some guys would say that was funny, but I can assure you because I was gone three days later from Halifax, uh, the coast didn't find it less
4: humorous. Yeah.
0: So, do you wish you would have been less that when you played? You've been incredibly successful post-playing days, but when you played, would you do you regret some of that?
3: Uh, I'm going to say no, because I think when you when you have some regrets, you wish. Things would have turned out differently, and, and like you said, there, and it's, it's turned out very well for me. And and maybe it was because um, I had a very low tolerance of uh, dealing with crap. You know that if, if somebody didn't want you, then then say they don't want you there. Uh, don't try to get you to quit, or or don't try to humiliate you in front of other people. And and I think I've sort of um, again probably got a lot of that from my father where, you know, you don't have regrets. You just expect to be treated a certain way and you expect honesty and you give honesty. And when it's not there, uh, you have certain reactions to it. I mean, I I remember there was, you know, going back, I guess, to another thing. There, there was a comedian named uh, Mike Berbiglia who had a, a special, comedy special. And the, uh, the title of it was What I Should Have Said Was Nothing. And that's, <laughs> uh, I can kind of look back at that and go, okay, yeah, I, I probably should have just shut up. But I remember there was there was another coach I had uh, trouble with. We were in Springfield, uh, and I heard from the trainer as soon as I was the last uh, player sent down from Chicago. And when I got there, the trainers who know everything, um, the trainer said to me, he "said Watch your back. He doesn't want you here." And I never had a conversation with him. Nothing. Uh, and again, there were three goalies. And and as as training, you know, the end of training camp and the start of the season went on. It was pretty apparent because I didn't want me there. Um, so I remember we were playing uh, trivia on the bus coming back from a road trip. And the coach at the time says, I got a question. He said, name the only goalie to ever score in professional hockey. So I yelled out, Billy Smith. And he says, wrong. I said, Billy Smith did it with the Islanders against Colorado. I said, Michelle Plath scored in the Central League against Kansas City. And his response to the back of the bus was, he said, he said, Plas is right, Smith is wrong. He said, Smith didn't score the goal, he got credit for it. So now there's this awkward pause on the bus, to which, I, again, I should have said nothing. <laughs> but I said, I said, I've got a question. And right away, all the guys turned and looked at me as if to say, just shut up, like don't. And I said, my question is, how many goals did Wayne Gretzky score last year? And how many did he get credit for? And that was the end of the trivia, and I was gone from
4: Springfield about three weeks later.
3: But no wow. regret. Like, like I said, I mean, you could sit there and take it, play the victim, and uh, I, I told my son, who's who's gotten into broadcasting, and this is probably the worst advice to give anybody, but I said, if you're going to get screwed, I said, have a story. <laughs> don't just, <you know, laughs> just don't. Just don't leave with your tail tucked between your legs. Give them a reason, and uh, at least you can go out and say, "Okay, I, I kind of deserved it."
2: Woody, let's bring you in. Well, I was just—I was just curious because we know a few goaltenders have been in the backup roles that have had big personalities, uh, whether it's within a room, within the media in today's era, or even more so, maybe even on social media, where their presence at times is bigger than their role on the team. And, and in some cases, I won't name specifics, but for some guys, it's gotten them, maybe not into trouble with organizations, but it's gotten them run out of organizations, whether it's fair or not. So have you seen examples like that? Do you, do you relate to that? Is that just the way the game's going? Or would you give the same advice to them? Just be yourself and to heck with what the other people think.
3: Yeah, I, I still think ultimately it comes down to uh, how you perform. With the opportunity and unfortunately in my third year i blew my knee out i missed a year and and that was pretty much it and then it was the backup role uh, you know when i struggled to come back so it um i, I think one of the things that that i grew up with uh, my older brother and i shared a room and as hockey coach one you got every kid on the team uh, this present and it was a it was a hinge uh, picture frame uh, and on one side it was a mirror, and on the other side it was a poem called "The Man in the Glass." Uh, that is pretty popular, and you can find it on the internet. And uh, and I've always tried to live by that, where it's basically that. But uh, you know, by the time things are said and done, you've had to look at the guy in the glass and, and say, "You know, am I happy with him And did he do the right thing? And can I live with what the actions are?" And even though what I did or what I said during certain points, I can look at it and say, you know what? I, I, I can live with it, you know, that I didn't, uh, I didn't back down or I didn't try to suck up to, um, to go further But um, you know, sometimes, you know, you meet people in your life and, and personalities, crush. and I, I guess if, if there's any regret, it's that I could have handled it in a more mature manner. I could have called a meeting and I could have asked questions rather than responding uh, the exact same way that I was treated.
2: Now, I want to. I want to slip to the broadcast side too. Like, I think I know the answer. It's just because we're smarter than the rest of the players out there. But why? Do, why? Why? Why do goaltenders make such good broadcasts? Like, why are there so many goaltenders in the industry on your side of things right now? Why do you think?
3: Well, I, I think you can relate to this, Dan, because you you see the game from from a different vantage point than most. Uh, whether you're playing or whether you're on the bench. Um, so, you know, instead of, you know, one guy, you know, having a puck and looking for somebody open, you're a goal fan and you're looking for four guys that are open uh, and, and how you're going to relate to it and how you respond to it and how the play is going to set up in front of you. So I, I think that's, you know, almost like a catch in baseball where everything's in front of you uh, to analyze instead of, you know, sort of being in the scrum and trying to make something happen. Uh, you get a different view of the game. And, and I think you relate to it that way.
2: What about the way the game's evolved, the position, the way it's evolved, Jim? Like, how do you, the styles change so much. A lot of people use the word robotic. As you said, it, they have to be athletes like maybe never before. I always hate the word robotic, but it's certainly a lot more structured than when you play. There's, there's a lot less personality and save selections, a, a lot less uniqueness, a lot more sort of sameness. Um, does it take in any fun out of it?
3: I know you're going to ask me one question. Where my answer would describe me as a dinosaur. <laughs> 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 I, I, knew, I, knew, I knew eventually that was coming. I mean, let's face it. When and you know, a lot of part of it a lot of it in the seventies and eighties, it, it was the masks. I mean, that was, you know, you know Jerry Cheevers because of the mask and Bernie Prawn, Mary Jockman. Um, but but the styles were all different as well. And I think what um you know, once the equipment got to a certain size, it didn't take a whole lot for people to figure out, use the equipment to your advantage. Uh, just try to take up as as much fat as you possibly can. And, uh, you know, I don't begrudge or criticize anybody for doing it, but Buddy Broder was probably the last of the almost stand-up goalkeepers, you know, where he, you would actually see him, you know, make a kick save. Whereas now it seems to be, uh, I, I would put it this way. It's The position has gone to what I believe from the most undercoached position in professional sports to possibly the most overcoached. I think it's great for, for kids to learn techniques and everything else, but I think when a guy's winding up coming off the wing and you're thinking gap control and you're thinking where's the rebound and how am I going to handle it, whatever, I think once you know that that becomes the mindset and not exactly watching where the puck's going, um, you know, it, it concerns you a little bit.
0: What were you thinking when somebody came down the wing and took a slap shot?
3: Uh, I'm probably done after this. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, for us, it was, I, um, the only thing I had, Jacques Pond had a book called Gold Out right. in the 70s, and that's all we had. And it was, uh, really the mindset was that if you were perfectly square, to the shooter, and you are in perfect balance. And and this is the the Bernie Parent method of playing as well. The most you have to move to stop the perfect shot is four to six inches. Now, if I, if I take that mentality and put it into today's game, the perfect shot is what three inches? Mm-hmm. You know, if, if you're square and if you're set, um, it should translate into that. And and that's really not the way the game has gone. And yeah. Having said that, I think the guys, um, you know, whether it's Henrik Lundqvist or, or Pekarine or or Jonathan Quick, you still see that in those guys, and it's about playing to where the puck is going, and not just uh, positioning and gap control and, um, and and all the other terminology we use now.
0: Who's your favorite goalie today to watch
3: today? Yeah, uh, I'm going to go Carey Price. I just think there is a, he is so good post to post, and there's such an ease in his game that, um, and, and probably you know even with the, you know the struggles the, the team has had in front of him, uh, I, I still look at him as, as being you know the most consistent. Uh, although Vasilevsky's fun to watch as well. I mean, he's sort of a well, I, I don't want to say Hasek like, but you watch some of the saves that he's made in desperation. And uh, I think there's a, a pretty fair comparison to Dominic Kazakh there as well.
1: How about uh how about Leafs over the years? You've been broadcasting the Leafs for twenty plus years now. What's uh who, who are your favorites over those times? Uh probably Martin Gerber. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> how do we take that seriously? Darth Gerber.
3: I just wanted to see how long the silence would last. <laughs>
0: <It> would have <laughs> been a long one. He had a great finish to a year.
3: <laughs> the uh uh, for me, it was Curtis Joseph, and and Eddie Belfour was a close second. I mean, that's when they went on those playoff runs in the late in the nineties and early two thousands. And uh, Curtis, I'd actually known since uh, you know before he went to college to play, uh, living up in the Newmarket Aurora area north of Toronto. Uh, so I'd known Curtis a long time, and we'd always spent summers together and um, golf, and get the families together for barbecues. And, um, but but I guess for me. Um, and one thing when, when you cover one team on a regular basis, when it comes to other players from other teams, uh, once they come to Toronto and you get to see them on a regular basis, you, um, you either like them a lot more than you did seeing them four or five times a year or a lot less. And for me, Eddie Belfour, uh, even though I'm obviously very familiar with his work and winning cups and his time in Chicago as well. I was amazed to watch him game in and game out. Uh, How good again! How he squared up to everything. How he followed the puck into his body, uh, rebound control, Uh, and for two years um, he absolutely amazed me on a nightly basis.
0: Did the trainers ever give you a key to the rink uh, like they did Eddie Belfour?
3: No, no. (laughs) (laughs) I I had to wait with the Zamboni guy till they opened it up.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What's one thing that? What what was the best attribute of of Jim Ralph's playing days that that you would pass on to uh, to a young goaltender? What was your strength?
3: I would say more, and I, I don't know if um, I couldn't have played today's game. <laughs> I mean, I could butterfly, but it was getting up that would have been a, a huge problem. I I think it was more the mental side. You know, like I said with the uh, the, the Jock Pond reference, that I felt that if I was set and square. Um, you know, I I couldn't be beat, and it was, um, so to me, it was, uh, and I learned some things from Tony Esposito in Chicago as well. Uh, Tony used to, uh, do everything in five minute segments, and when the puck dropped, he wanted to get to 1459 without giving up a goal. And uh, I'm sure if you remember, anytime there was a stoppage in play, Tony was always looking up at the clock, skating back and forth, looking up, and uh. And I thought that was a great way to, so if you give up one, you know, in the first couple of minutes, you still wanted to get to 1459 and you start over. And then you get to 959, 459, you get to the end of the period. Um, I I thought for me that was probably um, made up for for maybe some physical limitations that I had.
1: Did Tony teach you any uh, gear modification tips while you were there?
0: (laughs) No, no. Well, that uh, I mean, he, he had uh, he had everything: personality, gear, talent, everything. Was was he intimidating?
3: No, I, actually, what was funny was the uh, uh, I was warned in my first training camp uh, that don't take it personally. Tony doesn't talk to the young guys coming up, and then after the uh, but the second day of camp, and then Tony and I were on the same um, training camp squad. Uh, which was a huge thrill for me. And yeah, I idolized him growing up as well. Um, after the second day of camp, Keith him was the coach. And he said, uh, I talked to Tony. He said, if you have any questions or want any help, uh, feel free to ask him. So Tony Tony Esposito was great to me, um, you know, right from the start. And then I give him you know, a lot of credit from going to that one training camp and then going back and, and having two pretty decent junior years at the end of it. So... Um, yeah, he didn't he didn't help me stuff my pads to make them bigger or, or put, uh, you know, the plastic stuff on my gloves. But um but it was uh, I, I was very appreciative of the, the help that I received from him.
0: Well, I've enjoyed hearing you uh be serious uh for a little bit uh, as well as your uh, your one-liners and your incredible sense of humor which uh, which I'm very familiar with and the the guys uh, are, are exposed to here, but uh, it's been fun different to hearing you uh, straight-laced.
3: Yeah, well, I have feelings, too, you know, <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: they've,
3: well, just, they've, just, they've just been crushed for so yeah.
4: long. So, marriages,
3: career, you know. <laughs> but it's, you, uh, uh, I you, mean, you, it's you, always been, oh, you know what, when we're, we're talking as well, I mean, uh, about former great goalies, uh, Mike Paul here and I golf all the time in the summer. So he's still a really cool guy. And it's amazing how many people recognize him to this day, you know, and it's been you know 30 years since he's, uh, he's retired. Uh, so it's, it's, it's pretty cool. Again, you know, to say growing up in the city, you'd be golfing, with Mike call here. Um, once a week in the summer for, for a few years. So, uh, I, I've got a good call out there as well.
0: Why, why were there so many more Southpaws in your era than today? I don't know. You
3: know, they, um, although in all honesty, there wasn't a lot. I mean, I, I was a South Pond, uh, you know, from Sault Ste. Marie and, uh, I always joked about it. i the second best left handed goalie from Sault Ste. Marie ever to play in Chicago system. <laughs> you know, it's, it's not really, uh, uh, you should write a book worthy comment, but it was, um, yeah, I, I don't know why there's so few now. I mean, now you've really got a from Louis Domingue I think is one. Um, yeah, there's, there's, there's not a lot, but, um, yeah, Paul, you left-handed Pony Esposito, Roger Crozier, I believe the uh, lefty as well. So, I mean, there, um, there was never really a lot, uh, you did have, you know, grant fear and Tom Barrasso
4: right.
3: a little later on in that area, but, um, I don't know whether kids are being taught differently. Um, I'll admit that halfway through my career, I thought maybe I'll switch <laughs> <laughs>
4: you know, I'll try it, the other way.
2: <laughs> well, Hey, I was, I was just going to say, Jim, like uh, you said, you're a big fan of Andre Vasileska. He actually started as a lefty, but they didn't have equipment in Russia. So he didn't have a choice, but to go the other way. But on your Palmateur story, I got to ask now, uh, knowing that you guys have a relationship what went through your mind when he skated out in that alumni game in those old vintage pads and especially the mask? Because as a new school guy myself, I feared for him.
3: Yeah, well, you know what? He's he, he played fearless when he was in the league, and he hasn't changed, not even on the golf course. You know, <laughs> 260 carry with a three-wood over water from the fairway. Uh, he's going for it. <laughs> You know,
4: even though he can only hit it
3: one, <laughs> 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 <Yeah. laughs> he's, uh, but it's, um, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I thought it was neat. And then, you know, we saw Bernie front kind of do the same thing uh, in the outdoor game and Philly the, the alumni game as well. But it, uh, um, I said to him, cause you remember he stopped, uh, Holmstrom on the breakaway or the penalty shot yeah, and then hurt himself. And I said, well, at least it went out on top. You know, at, at least you went out you they say you're only as good as your last uh as your last game and your last moment. Palmy said, What are you talking about? He said, I got one more left. <laughs> he said, I'll be back. He said, I got one more left. So, you know, at sixty five we're gonna we'll see Palmy again somewhere. Uh but but he is uh uh I don't know if I've met a, a more competitive guy. Cujo is, is very laid back, competitive, but, but quietly competitive. Uh Palmy is, is no different than the the 20-something-year-old kid that told Roger Nielsen, your goaltending problems are over. When he got called up to Toronto, probably hasn't changed a whole lot.
0: Uh, you've uh, you've been uh, great uh, as well. Uh, funny and personality and uh, bring a, an analyst and a goaltending perspective to it. We've been angling to get you on for a while. We really appreciate you doing this for us.
3: Uh, I appreciate it too, Darren. And, and really look forward to seeing you in Vegas. That's, uh, that's something that made a lot of people happy.
0: Let's uh, let's get out in the town uh, when you get stopped by you, me, and Bonesy.
3: Yeah, there's nothing to do there, but maybe we'll find a small <laughs> bar <fire> or something. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Thanks, Ralphie. Thanks, Thank
0: Ralphie. Thank you. All right. Great. Thanks, guys. Bye. Well, that will uh, go down as the the funniest interview that we've done so far in the in the 33 episodes of uh in Gold radio the podcast now what do you don't know ralphie that much uh, No,pe no not at all what did you learn from from that conversation
2: he is a funny dude <laughs>
0: self-deprecating
2: <very laughs> yeah well funny. He, you know he, you know who it reminded me of is um maybe to a lesser extent it reminds me of roberto luongo yeah uh, and and a guy who I knew had that personality because I dealt with him a little bit since his time in his first stint with the Florida Panthers in 03-04. And when he came to Vancouver, I think some of the attempts at self-deprecation before the Twitter account came out, he was hammered for them. Right, like he—he he was just him trying to get through a moment using self-deprecating humor, and, and the media here hammered him for him as not caring. I remember the one where he made a joke after they got eliminated for the second straight year by the Blackhawks about at least this time I didn't give up six goals or something like that, and that was the same Roberto we see on 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 Twitter and on social media uh, through the strongbone One account—the self-deprecation. But at the time, nobody really knew that side of him, and so they they just like they just nuked him for it in the media. And since then, through social media, he's allowed that sort of humor and that personality to come through, and he's been embraced for it. And I I just think the the tone of some of it in terms of the self deprecation it reminded me a lot of sort of what I've known Roberto to be even before the Twitter account and what I think the rest of the world has known Roberto is since the Twitter account and sharing that type of personality. In my opinion it's n- never a bad thing if it really is who you are and I think Roberto now would agree with the same thing and obviously we heard Jim Ralph even though it caused him problems earlier um you know he wouldn't change he wouldn't change much especially that side
1: kind of wonder if Lou hadn't been as good as he is whether he might have uh ended his career a little earlier as well it's to me it's really sad that we beat these guys down for showing some personality and I think it takes away some of the uh um, the opportunities for us to get to know people and, and enjoy the lighter side of sport. Uh, I think we got to let some of these guys show their personality off. And it's really sad when, particularly in hockey, they get beaten down for it.
0: So will you be like Jim's father in the car, leaving the, the minor hockey banquet, uh, with your son, <laughs> uh, uh, Hutch? No,
1: definitely not. Although I, I do think it's crazy all these different accounts as you hop on Twitter that start ranking kids who are 11 and 12 years old. So uh, I, I don't share any of those things with them and what I think of that. But uh, no, I think my, our job as parents is to uh, instill lots of confidence in our kids because the game does all it can to beat it out of kids. So let, let's instill it.
0: in. So them. what would you do if uh, if young Maddie uh, started becoming a, a real character? Would you tell him to, to tone it down? because that's that's our ultimate um, sort of uh contradiction of wanting one thing but being pulled in another area.
1: Yeah, isn't it true? Uh time in a place, I think is one thing. You got to pick your you got to pick your time and place and I think uh you don't do it right away when you meet somebody. Um thankfully, Maddie's pretty shy so that doesn't happen until he gets to know people. Uh I think Ralphie would tell you that he he picks some places he probably <laughs> shouldn't have picked. <laughs> so I think that was great lessons for the kids you know another lesson for me that I don't actually think came up in the interview but as I was prepping for it uh discovered that he started his broadcasting when he was still playing for the Ottawa 67s uh got involved with radio um as a summer position and uh, was obviously looking to his talents and to his future beyond goaltending and I just love that I think it's important that uh, beyond goaltending, kids need to look for what their passion is and to start to follow that passion because you never know where it might lead. And obviously it's led to some great places for Ralphie.
0: He was, uh, he was entertaining and he was fun and uh, he has been uh, that way for a long time. I'm, and I'm glad that uh, that this audience got a chance to to hear him. A twist on the gear segment this week, Woody. Uh, you give Cam a break and return to one of our first guests on the podcast with a man that they call Jaws. Here's the
2: gear segment presented by Sorcerer Sports Surrey, the hockey shop. Okay, welcome back to the podcast, the Goal Radio Podcast, presented by the hockey shop and the hockey shop Source for Sports. Chris Jozwiak, pro rep for Bryants. How many years now, Jaws?
5: Uh, I think we're going on 10 actually. So
2: wow. One so decade. okay. Okay. I it's funny because uh uh i was we were we had to measure how long i've known you and i was actually measuring it based on every two years certain lines and going back to the original sub-zero line and doing doing that review so um this is the gear segment uh brought to you by the hockey shop so we're going to start talking gear and then we're going to ask you a few questions about life as a pro rep uh, during a busy time of year with uh guys you know trying stuff going back to their teams uh summer skates but first optic 2 so a two-part question. What can you tell me about it? We're still almost two months out from the actual retail launch. And probably there's probably some people out there wonder why. Why does Brian's launch their new pads and gloves uh, November 1st, as opposed to sort of early April, like all the other brands? Can you walk me at all through the strategy and thinking behind that?
5: Sure. So to start, yeah, I mean, we're very excited about the Optic 2 launch. Uh, you know, the Optic 1 was really revolutionary for us. There was a lot of game-changing, you know, aspects of that line, you know, with the BOA, with the limited outer roll, um, really showing off the Primo and, and all that. So it had a lot of, you know, high-end features, and it's a high-performance line. Um, you know, I, I think compared to the Genetic, um, I really think the Genetic's for everyone. It's a nice pad. It's not too soft. It's not too stiff. Um, it's really easy to get into versus the optic you know if you can if you're a high performer or you're looking to be as fast as possible take as much coverage you know those kind of aspects it's the pad and gloves and for you but you know again it's not for everyone yeah the the new line is gonna be exciting because it's taking everything we learned from the first one and just maximizing it so it's gonna be a faster pad, harder rebounds. We're gonna have a new core called the Max Core, which is uh just a completely different foam layup. Um, so it's gonna really play different than the first optic. Um, we're gonna to continue to have the bow on the gloves. We've changed a lot on the glove, especially the blocker. Um, so just super high performance, really nice. We're really happy with how the graphics turned out and all that. So um so far the feedback from guys that wore the previous optic to this. I mean, they're absolutely in love. I just talked to Shusterkin from, um, you know, the Rangers organization yesterday. He's, you know, super in love with them. And same thing with Sparks and all these guys. So they're really excited um, and we're, we're excited, too. So it'll be a nice launch. And then, yeah, kind of going off your second question, um, why we do it in November, is that was something that, you know, about eight years ago we strategically did since we build the pads in Canada. You know, there's not as big of a turnaround and, you know, process as it is for the companies that build their, um, you know, stock gear overseas. Um, so we have a leg up there. And it's also just a retail strategic thing to get our gear in there before, you know, the stores buy the big brands and all that. So there's many reasons behind it. But also, you know, I think it's a little unfair that you see these NHL guys wear a line all season long. And then right as the season's about to conclude, you know, the retail customers are able to pay and, and order it. And, uh, you know, I just, I don't see the point in that. So for us, we let some of the high end guys get the pads right now. And then, uh, you know, by the time that the season's in full gear, um, you're able to order it as well. So.
2: Okay. Not a bad philosophy. So let's just go back to the style of pad real quickly. So if I'm reading that correctly, genetic. When you say more pat, like genetics, got a little more traditional feel to it in terms of flex and and some of the aesthetics. Um, optic. If you're based on what we did with our testing with with the original optic line, you know it's still still thinner, still sort of lighter, still kind of. Is it more the evolution? Uh, maybe even revolution and genetics, kind of evolution of tradition, with with still a lot of new features in it. But optic is where you're you're sort of playing with new concepts, like like limiting the outer roll and things like that.
5: Correct. So the genetic has internal knee rolls. It has a lot more torsional flex. the The genetics seem to be more forgiving per se, where the optic line is more boxy. I would compare it to. You know, the Premieres, the 2Ss, those kind of pads. So, you know, it's less forgiving. It you know, hard, solid seal. um, But it definitely is a different style. For me, you know, I'm turning 34 this year. I generally uh, prefer the genetic line. However, I've I've been testing the Optic 2s right now. I really like them, especially the glove and the blocker. So it's an awesome line. Really, the biggest thing with anyone is you don't know what you're going to like until you try it. So at least strap something on in and in a store and and give it a whirl. But yeah, I, I really like where we're headed with the with the line and as well with the genetic line. I think we have a nice one-two punch now. So
2: okay, so and in the past, so this part we'll transition a little bit into the job as a pro rep. In the past, we would see guys, um, you know, when the new launch came out for the for the majority they'd switch to what was new this year at the NHL level. Watching guys now, it really seems like guys are sort of settling into um their line. What suits their game. Is that a conscious thing on your part? You know, if certain guys that if they were genetic guys before they're staying genetic and other guys that have tried optic staying in optic based on style, based on preferences, as opposed to just make sure you get what's in the get them in what's the latest.
5: Yeah, I th- I think, you know, Brian's is one of those brands compared to say maybe Vaughn or CCM where, you know, you see guys in Vaughn, right? They've worn the V2, the V3, and then, you know, they're staying in the V4. It's just, you know, they're known as a brand where guys stay and wear the same exact thing every year, basically. Same thing with premier guys with CCM. I think with Bryan's, you've always seen our goalies be a little bit more braver and uh, willing to test the waters in something new and exciting. You know, with where we were with the genetic last year, So many guys are so happy with it. They don't want to change a thing. Uh, Most of the goalies wore the line completely stock. I can't even really tell you what we've really changed on most of the guys. It's been, like, essentially more stock than retail orders. I feel that, you know, a lot of retail customers just change things for the sake of changing. So, um, yeah, I mean, really this year, you're going to see a lot of guys that were just so happy in their pads last year. Georgiev, Nilsson so on and so forth that you know they don't need to change anything even like demco you know in vancouver he's traditionally always been a guy to test the waters and try something new he was really happy with his pad so he'll still be in the genetic four pad he hasn't even looked at the optic two and then uh but we did uh he was always an optic glove so he went to optic two and he's obsessed with it so it's uh yeah you'll see a big difference where it'll be more split off this year compared to all in the new stuff. So
2: oh, And I think that's probably, you know, a sign of the lines sort of, uh, for lack of a better term, having some separation in terms of, you know, having some unique features that are, you know, for different preferences. Whereas I think there was a time there where it looked like sub-zero and genetic were almost growing together and becoming more similar than different. It looks like we've got some s- distinction between your two lines now with genetic and optic. Is that a fair comment?
5: Yeah, for sure, and and that a lot of that comes from the retailer's point of view too. You know, they get frustrated. They, you know, spend thousands of dollars bringing in um, a new line just for next year to have a similar line cancel that out. So any stock that they have left is virtually wasted money. So um, to create a larger distinction between um, the product lines was a goal of ours. So yeah, you're gonna have a more stiff, hard, super high performance. Line And then you're going to have your, you know, flexible, forgiving, you know, nice, traditional hybrid slash butterfly line. So
2: nice. Right, so, OK, so pro rep job. What's it like in the summer for you? Uh, how much mo- we saw, obviously, on Instagram, we've seen some of the pictures, uh, trips to places like Chicago where you were with uh, Robin Lehner, Colin Delia. And Garrett Sparks, uh, two Blackhawks goaltenders, and and, and uh, I guess now Vegas Golden Knights goaltender who lives in Chicago. Is that indicative of of your summer? Is that just a feature? Like, what's what's it like when you when you're trying to maybe, a, in some cases, actively recruit, in some cases, just introduce the latest and greatest to uh, you know different guys and make sure that everybody's happy uh, once the season starts because you know pads take time to build, gear takes time to build. Um, you can't just wait till training camp starts to get going. What's the summer like as a pro rep?
5: Yeah, no, I mean, I, I try not to share too much on there. I mean, with those guys, it's funny because actually Scott Darling, another one of our goalies, took the picture, but there was no room for him out on the ice that day. So, and usually there's two ice sessions. So he wasn't able to skate. So he took the photo and it's kind of funny because most of those guys are, you know, 6'4 and above and they're in skates and gear. So yeah, it was a pretty funny picture. I look pretty small. You know, compared to those guys in just my street clothes. So, um, yeah, I mean, that was a nice trip because I got to see even five goalies because even uh East Coast goalie Karpinski um, was there, too. So I saw five of our goalies. You know, it's nice to knock that many birds out with one stone, per se. So um, yeah, that was a cool trip. And. Yeah, I mean, it's my job is a little bit different, I would say, than most brands' pro reps because, you know, a lot of brands have multiple reps that only cover, you know, a territory or a certain amount of teams. I'm really our only pro rep, and even I assist in the KHL and overseas and juniors in college, so my hands are pretty tied and full, but um, I don't get to probably go to as many training camps as I would like to. Um, however, I go where I'm needed and when I'm called and, and where I see an opportunity. So, you know, I've driven all the way out to New York. I make flights out to California, all this. So it all depends. And and I see a lot of the guys in the summer and a lot of them train in Michigan over the summer as well, where I'm based out of. So, you know, every, every week's a little bit different, but my home base is here in Metro Detroit. And, uh you know, in the next couple of weeks, we have, you know, Traverse City training camp for a lot of the prospects. And, and we also have a lot of teams coming in to play Detroit. So I'll be seeing a lot of guys over the next month. So, well,
2: you yeah, know, Hey, you got two Brian's guys now here in Vancouver and Demco and Mikey DiPietro. Uh, it's beautiful here in September. Jaws. Do you need me to have these guys raise a stink on anything so we can just negotiate a trip out to the West coast in, in one of our finer months?
5: I'll try my best. I love Vancouver. It's an awesome city and a great team. And I, I love their equipment managers and, and whole organization. And of course, you're there as well. So I'll That's try the my fun. best. The, the fortunate thing with those guys is uh, Demko, I see quite a few times in the summer. And, you know, he's been one of my longest, most loyal guys since the start. So he's been with my brand for nine years, you know, so basically the whole time I've been here. And we have already covered that story. And then D Pietro is actually based really homegrown to Bryan's and and just outside Kingsville. So um he's been to the factory two or three times this summer and just, you know, loves coming to pick up his gear and all that. So it's been a nice little story for us. Just, you know, a local boy that wants to wear the gear and even put uh you know, the Essex County map on the back of his pads to remind him of home. So um, really nice kid and excited to see where his future leads. So well, Brian's
2: has, has long been known as the custom goalie company um, for your designs. You mentioned the the Essex uh, map on the back of DiPietro's pads. Uh, we have a Seesaw Sparks custom designs for the Vegas Golden Knights as he moves on from the Toronto Maple Leafs this summer. Uh, any other designs? Like, what's that process like? Anders Nilsson, obviously, with the Beast design that that debuted here in Vancouver and ties back to a set of pads he wore as a kid that his dad still has or had in the garage back in sweden last summer um any 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 things that appeared on napkins for you this summer that ended up like walk us through what that process can be like and if there's any cool stories that emerged this summer as guys tinkered with new designs uh Rantis ranta's kachina pads just smoking hot sean burke uh throwback set like is it is it fun to be part of that process and brainstorm it do these guys leave any of it to you or is there a back and forth Uh, as these guys try and pick new patterns and new looks for the new season.
5: Yeah, I think that's also another big part of how my job differentiates than the standard pro rep because a lot of my background is also graphic design and and all that. So the players have fun with me because they know that we can spend hours, you know, collaborating and working on a design together. So, you know, a vast majority of the pads on our Instagram are you know, designed by either Rio, our, our lead pad designer, or myself. Um, sometimes we'll collaborate with another designer just to get all their point of view. And then, yeah, we've had a couple guys that like to kind of mock up their own thing. Uh, probably this week, I'll unveil uh, Alexander Georgiev's uh, new pads, which is kind of a tweak of his last design that he designed himself as well so those will look really sharp and demco has got some retro Vancouver um, pads coming in the the sport gold black and red so those will look really sharp um, you know obviously with Vancouver it's tough because most of the pad has to be white so he actually wanted to do a Kirk McLean throwback set kind of you know with the you know, the Nash blocker and the all black pads, but those got X made real quick. So, um, he and a- he,
2: and Clark strikes again, got to have white outer rolls. Hey, eh? that's tough for okay, retro I, sets.
5: I I mean, the guys played great last year and, and even, you know, Anders Nilsson this year, I asked him if he wants to go more color based and he, he was strict on staying with the white frame and, and continuing with uh, Clark's frame of mind. So I give him credit and, uh, you know, whatever works for them. And and it's great that the guys buy into the philosophy and, uh, you know, we'll see how it looks and works this year. So
2: I I would have been excited to see a Kirk McLean retro set. I got to say that would have taken me back to my youth, but we'll, we'll see what you come up with. It is the 50th anniversary season here in Vancouver. Now, listen, Hey, one thing that I don't think a lot of people would expect this part of the job as a pro rep, and it actually has some ties here to Vancouver is you take a lot of crap over EA sports and whether or not, your graphic gets into the game. Uh again, you launch it in November. So they're usually working on that game long in advance. Uh you may have some news there in terms of making sure that Brian's fans who I guess like do they actually get disgruntled enough to contact EA because the pads aren't the, the newest graphic isn't in the game and, and you've got some news there on making sure it is.
5: Yeah, I mean it's kind of funny to say, but you know, this past season, um if you could look on Twitter, like you know, I see the whole Brian's, you know, feed of everyone who tags us and there's just been constant tags all season between us and EA Sports that, you know, retail customers are just upset that the genetic 4s weren't in the game. And that was just kind of a, I guess, a lack of foresight maybe from us or from them. You guys traditionally every year they have our new pads, um, but this year, um, Joe Aiken, who's our business manager, actually flew out to Vancouver to see a couple retailers. And he made a trip out to the EA Sports campus, brought the new Optic 2 line, showed how the colors work, um, kind of showed where our future is. They kind of showed us what they have in mind for upcoming years. So um, that was a cool experience for Brian's. And, uh, yeah, I would say that the new line is going to be in there, however... I would say look for the Optic 2s to go in with the first patch um, at the beginning of October. So they will be in the game, but maybe not right as you you know purchase the game. They won't be in there day one. So
2: if it's in the game, it's in the game. You just might have to wait a little bit. Hold the temper tantrums on Twitter uh, directed towards EA Sports for a little bit till we get through that first patch, and you'll be able to select... You'll be able to select between genetic or optic, depending on what your guy's wearing in the show this year. That's that's there you go. I I didn't know you actually had to deal with that level of things. So there you go. New 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 knowledge on the life of a pro rep from Chris Jaws-Wiak. Jaws. Weak uh, Jaws. Thank you so much for taking the time today. I know it is a busy time of year. Uh, thanks for giving us a tease on the optic two line. Uh, hopefully we'll uh, we'll connect and and make sure we tell the rest of that story as we get closer. Some of the the technical features and innovations uh, as you guys move, you know, in that direction of fast sliding, hard rebound pad to complement the genetic line. Uh, exciting times. And I appreciate you taking the time to be part of the Ingo Radio podcast again this week. Uh, our first two time guest from the from the gear or pro rep side of things. So you're you're a trendsetter, my friend.
5: I'm honored. Thanks again for having me. And I look forward to being on again in the future.
0: Thanks, Jaws. I enjoy our visits with uh, with Jaws. How, how far
2: back do you go with him, Woody? Oh, that's a good question. Mm. Time is not something I'm good at sort of <laughs> rectifying in my head. You know what? Like, uh, I'd actually do it by gear. So yeah, right. um, they alternate lines once every two years. This is Optic 2 coming out, and that followed the Sub-Zero line, which got to 3. So one, two, three Sub-Zeros and 2 Optics is a 10-year span. I remember the first set of Sub-Zeros is roughly when we started <laughs> working with Brian's and Jaws. So I'm going to say a little more than 10 years there. <laughs> Oh my! That's goodness. about the most honest way of telling
1: time I can. Can you, like that's? that's but that's
2: realistically, you know, how I do it. Like uh, that's how I got to know him. Our work, we we reviewed the first sub zero line, which is, you know, quite innovative yep. for its time. Really innovative first time. As a matter of fact, it was one of the first ones to bring out velcro strapping, and a lot of people are like, like, come on, like, where's my leather and buckles? Well, that stuff yeah. was super light, and uh, it's shown the test of time, and. You know, again, that's guys like that and companies like that, and all of them now innovating in different ways is is what makes this job fun. It's always changing, and yeah, I guess I I don't know if that's sad or what, but I actually measure relationships in gear launches. That's that was <laughs> yeah. fascinating. Just don't
0: don't tell your wife. That I I've never heard anything like that before. I'm glad you did that now in episode 33 and not episode one or else i might have ran for the hills and
1: uh (laughs) woody i want to i want to know what was popular gear when you met your wife woody come on yeah Yeah.
2: um see now this is going to be bad for us hutch because i wasn't a goalie when i met my wife don't forget i didn't start playing until my mid-30s so Yeah. yeah probably uh this is why i have trouble with some of the old gear conversations i don't have the same volume of reference as you two old farts
1: Right. Uh, well, I was, I was wearing the Felix Pot Van Cojos in leaf colors. Oh,
2: good for you. I was thinking. When I met my wife, I was GP 21. <laughs> I, okay, so I got to be. I think the best, the reason I'm probably still with my wife is I met her after or I married right. her and then I started goaltending. So that garage full of stink that didn't exist mm-hmm. when I locked her in. It's too late for her to run to the hills, Darren, when I started bringing that stuff home.
1: Yeah. And uh, my wife took up goaltending when she met really? me. Really? Yes. True story. Doesn't play anymore because of injury, but, uh, yeah.
0: Two goalie family there for a while. Good for you guys. And, and now with, with Mm -hmm. Matty, wow, that, that's, uh, that's really unique. Again, you guys, you Mm -hmm. may have just one up Woody for the, uh, for the gear reference and the timetable. So, yeah, I think it's time to to sign this thing off no no but but
1: before you do darren you're, you're so smooth and you just slide things in so carefully that you mentioned vegas a while ago and kevin and i didn't get a chance to jump in so i would just like to on behalf of both of us uh, congratulate you on the new gig down in vegas and why don't you tell
0: us a bit more about what you'll and be how doing how big is the guest room the guest room is going to be very big. Yes. Well, I'm, I'm looking for a house right now. I'm trying to sell my uh, house at home. So it's uh, it's a little crazy at this point. Uh, going to be hosting... So if anybody's looking to move to Markham, Ontario, yes, please. please
1: contact Darren at <laughs> Yeah.
0: What's that address again? <laughs>
1: uh, podcast at com. Uh, you can also offer your real estate questions. I've up. been,
0: uh, been uh, getting to know uh, the Vegas Golden Knights, well, actually a long time since the... Introduction of the uh, announcements of the the roster during the expansion uh, re- revelation. So uh, that goes back uh, a couple of years during the NHL awards, and so got to know them a little bit. Then we've been chatting back and forth, and it just came uh, that this is the the right time. Good friends Kelly McCrimmon from Brandon, uh, Gerard Glant from PEI, Mike Kelly, uh, Ryan McGill, Ra- Ryan Craig, uh, coaching staff, all great guys, and uh, and our great goalie coach uh, as well, who. Uh, who, when I was down there in January, I learned doesn't go on the ice uh, all the time during during those those drills, which you guys told me all about. You already knew that, but well, I didn't.
2: That just means that Dave Pryor can do a podcast with you from the bench while they're actually out there. Exactly. And I was thinking hey, hey, that
0: uh, about Pryor. So uh, pre and post game, uh, intermissions, uh, probably uh, a podcast or two and, uh, and some uh, some other stuff. So so this is good. And my phone's just starting off with Siri, as as I say that. So uh, it's uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm going to be a very, very uh, in a steep learning curve at the start because I've never lived, uh, in the United States. So, uh, that's going to be, uh, fun getting my, all my stuff in order, but looking forward to it. It's not going to affect this job though. We're going to, uh, continue on with my, uh, appearances on Ingle Radio, the podcast. You're stuck with me.
1: Well, we're super excited about that because everybody would feel
0: stuck with us if you weren't here. <laughs> no, Woody, you, you just have more time.
2: Yeah, because that's what people want. More Woody, (laughs) not. Same number of questions. Lots
0: more Woody. Uh, Looking forward to it. Uh, When I speak to you again, I just may be in uh, in Nevada. But camps are coming up and uh, we'll be back to... Uh, talking about uh, goalies with goalies coming through our towns, Vegas now and Vancouver and uh, letting them tell us about their season soon enough. Until then, let us know what your thoughts are of today's episode. Is there a question you would like answered about a certain goaltender? Give us a holler. Drop us a line. Hutch, that address? Podcast at ingoalmag.com Our thanks to Jim Ralph and Chris Joswiak and to you as well. Leave us uh, a like at your podcast provider. It really does help elevate the podcast profile in goal radio, the podcast on behalf of David Hutchison and Kevin Woodley. I'm Darren Millard. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to check out the